books, stories, um, media, all of that transmits value. And, um, and culture is surrounds us. So I think when we engage a bit deeper in culturally sensitive and focused, um, diverse and equitable stories, we're able to for our especially for youth of color but all youth for them to open their horizons to what is possible how they feel about themselves especially developing confidence and self-esteem and giving them vision um, and opening their imaginations to what is possible i think all of that is rooted in cultural literacy um of course, you know, building uh, strong readers and, and a love for reading is is so important. But I think from the cultural standpoint, you know, it is the gateway. Um, it's the bridge for us to, as a society, for us to be more loving and kind and, and developing social and emotional learning through, um, through our connections as people. Welcome to the Ed Gap Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Phillips. You can call me Mariah because that's my name. And I'm thrilled to have you on this journey with me and all of the spectacular guests who jump on the podcast to give you more options for educating children so that children have more options for building a magnificent future. The Ed Gap Evolution Podcast is a digital community where parents, educators, and innovators drop the details on how they are using their lives to help children explore the vastness of education beyond the textbook so that we can close America's education gap together. And just in case you didn't get the memo, producing a podcast is a whole lot of work. We're talking schedule coordination, production, the list goes on and on. So in return for bringing you this show every week, we just ask that you always find a way to share and use what you learn on the podcast to enrich children and families everywhere. Alrighty, without further ado, come along with me to meet our very next guest. Today, we're speaking with Marjuan Kennedy. She is an award-winning Caribbean-American artist, entrepreneur, educator, and literacy advocate. A native Washingtonian, Marjuan's work spans theater, film, television, children's media, and literature. She has 15 years of arts education experience, instructing youth from preschool to college levels. And her original work has been seen at the John F. Kennedy Center, Sesame Street, the Smithsonian, and the Caribbean Cultural Center, African Diaspora Institute, to name a few. Look, we could spend hours listing out the many wonderful things that Marjuan is doing to engage youth of color in creative arts but we're even more fortunate to have her here with us today so she can fill you in on the magic happening over at her youth-focused 501c3 organization called the Kennedy Foundation for the Arts and much, much more. So, Madron, thank you for being here with us and joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. That's what we love to hear. Okay, so before we jump into your history and your work with youth, we want to know more about your passion for the arts. I personally think the arts is so exciting and I just have such an admiration for folks who are <laughs> deeply engrossed in the world. Um, but what I find really interesting about actors and great performers in general is you all's ability to take on new personalities, you know, in the most sane way possible and, <laughs> and to get into the character um, or the story at hand. You know, you really take on a new reality. So we're wondering, why do you choose theater? Um, and what about performing has compelled you to stick with it for so long? I don't know how many years it is, um, but, you know, if you could fill us in on that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think theater and the arts chose me. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that um, I've been uh, studying theater and just in, engrossed in the arts and dance, music uh, since I was a child. And um, from what I always remembered, I, you know, I, I, I always saw, um, I always saw myself in the arts. I didn't necessarily think I could be a professional artist. Uh, I didn't know what that meant as a child. I didn't grow up um, with any artists in my family. Everyone's in the sciences or in education. Um, but I think that 
I really, I was able to, you know, connect with, you know, discovering who I was as a young person. Um, and I felt so free, you know, so free in, um, my imagination and make believe. And it, it really just, uh, connected me, you know, throughout my whole life, just, it kept connecting me to the next step. Um, and I'm still experiencing that as an adult. I'm still, uh, the arts and theater and film is allowing me to move to next levels. Um, my professional career, but definitely as a young person, uh, theater, you know, gave me so much freedom. It, it brought me out of my shell. I was a very shy child. Um, and I was able to, you know, kind of escape, escape to, um, new worlds. And, um, f- funny enough, I didn't actually enjoy reading a lot <laughs> when I was really? a child. Um, but, you know, being exposed to theater definitely, um, exposed me to plays, mm. which in turn got me more interested in reading. Okay. Um, and I think, yeah, for a lot of, you know, children of color, which we, I'm sure we will talk about more, just um, the struggle of finding books that are relatable um, to young people and young people of color, especially. And, and really, that's what drives, I think, you know, kids to, to want to get into um, books and reading and uh, literacy and, and the arts overall, just stories that they can connect with where they can see themselves. So uh, I'd really say that theater chose me and um, it, it really, you know, every morning I wake up, you know, ready to go, um, you know, living in my passion. So I'm very thankful that I'm able to um, do my craft every day. Yes. And when you said, um, well, you said it quite a few times now, theater chose me. My, I like perked up because um, we had another professional artist on here. Um, she also has an organization. She was on the show and she said that ceramics chose her, like her art chose her. And until you all said that, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> like I always thought about it as, uh, you know, the person is choosing the thing. But I guess it does make sense that, you know, when something's for you and, you know, just as you can choose something, uh, something that exists, such as theater or, you know, any art form or anything can choose you as well. Absolutely. So. I, I hear a lot of musicians say that, you know, when people always ask musicians, how did they play or instrumentalists, how, how did they find their specific instrument um which is always interesting to me because you wonder like oh why did this person start playing the drums or you know um, the saxophone or the piano and and most musicians say it's because the instrument shows them (laughs) wow so um you also said that um you got into reading because you know you didn't really enjoy reading that much in school at first but then plays like really sparked your interest in reading and um I really like the fact that you mentioned that because I just so happened to have a mother who was an English teacher. So it was kind of like by default, but in school, I like, I mean, my sister and I talk about all the time, even the older we got, we were like, Oh my goodness, none of these books are boring. Like (laughs) some of them were boring. Some of them just, we just couldn't relate to. Um, where if for people who don't know I'm black and we, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, which is predominantly black city and County. And, um, there just wasn't much literature out there that really like just woke us up. So I appreciate the fact that you brought up the fact that plays were something that you could latch onto that really like sparked that love for reading in you. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I still connect with that. I mean, I think, you know, even as an adult, we, we experience stories, um, especially now in quarantine movies and um, any type of media that we can relate to. So it definitely is the same for children, if not more that, you know, you are engaged. You're so much more engaged when you are, experiencing stories and books that are about you um or at least that is the the initial um appeal right the that's kind of the gateway into the story seeing um sometimes it could be physical seeing someone that looks like you or an experience um that you can connect with in a story that makes you want to go deeper yes i'm wondering um 
you said that you've just always been into theater, especially when you were a kid. That's when you got started. But do you, can you recall like the very first time you performed in front of an audience? Like, what were you doing? Who was there? How did you feel? <laughs> that is so, you know, I, that's a really great question. So I, and I would say, um, I can honestly say an imaginary audience. So I remember um, putting on performances in my living room with my older brother when I was maybe about three years old. Um, And I used to line up the audience, like all my stuffed animals. I, you know, put all my dolls. um, And I was very serious about this. um, (laughs) This is a show, dolls. Yeah, yeah. I was putting, I had like 30, uh, you know, a a good amount of stuffed animals. And, um, you know, I would, I remember I, it's so terrible. I used to watch it living color (laughs) as a, as a three or four year old. And I would learn, I know it's so terrible. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> and I'm thinking about it like I would never let my daughter <laughs> look you had to see it sooner or later so <laughs> right right but I would I would learn the dances so my uh, ex- my my way into theater was actually through dance. Like I love dance. So I would learn like Janet Jackson and Michael Jackson's choreography. Um, and A modern day color. TikTok. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. A, a, a past TikTok. TikTok's the modern yeah. day color. <laughs> and I would just, you know, find, you know, costumes and garments or put my mom's clothes on. And, you know, I put on a whole show and, yeah. uh, and then I would invite, my brother or just anybody in the house, my mom to come. And, you know, they had to sit in a specific seat. I'm like, no, don't sit there. I remember all of that. So um, that was more of a, um, you know, in-house <laughs> performance experience. But I definitely remember, um, you know, taking, doing ballet. And um, I remember the first time I had a ballet recital, like, I had a solo, you know, like I was maybe four or five years old and I was so ready. I had like, you know, four little steps I had to do. And then the minute I got out there, I remember I just froze and I was just looking at the audience and I I just failed at that solo. (laughs) (laughs) So I do remember that. That's, that's one thing I, 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 it's really fresh in my mind. But you know what? I'm I'm sure you remember it to this day, and now you you've been killing performances ever since. So maybe it <laughs> needed to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm glad there's no tape of that. Even though I I would appreciate that now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, we're going to in a minute. We're going to get into talking about um just how great the work you're doing is, and how great the arts can be for children and even into adulthood, but keeping it real when a lot of people, when some folks hear the words theater or art, their minds don't necessarily lean towards entrepreneurship or the prospect of the arts being a viable career path, but your organization which we'll talk about in a second, connects youth to professional artists of color via mentorship and professional development. So can you help us define what a professional artist is? Like I'm wondering what separates a professional artist from someone who just really, really enjoys practicing art forms as a hobby? I think for a professional artist, it's someone um, very simple, just someone who makes their living through their art form. Um, I think the arts, you know, there's, there's so many different levels to practicing art. Like you said, um, it could be a spiritual practice. It could be, um, a hobby. Um, there's so many, there's so much healing that comes from the arts. I mean, I couldn't even imagine a world without, you know, music and storytelling and visual arts. I mean, it's, it's engulfed around us that, um, it's just part of our society. But I think when we talk about professional artists, um, there is that commerce piece to it. It's um, an entrepreneurship goes hand in hand with being a professional artist because you really have to think of yourself as the CEO of your art. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with my organization, the Kennedy Foundation for the Arts, we want to not only provide, you know, creative outlets and opportunities for young people to engage in the arts, but we also want them, um, especially our young people of color, to meet professional artists who 
do this work every day and um, are committed to their craft. So there is that mentorship aspect to uh, understanding that art and and being an artist is a viable option for a career. And, and actually there's so many, the job market in, in the creative fields is, is huge and it's growing. And I think that, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And I think there's so many, um, there's so many relatable and transferable skills that, you know, young people learn from the art so skills like leadership and individuality and creativity and discipline all of these things that even if you're not you know moving in a trajectory to work in the arts every industry they're looking for you know these types of skills um these skills that um you know you can bring to any field and so we want to provide um that foundation, as well as, you know, exposing kids to, um, you know, artists that do different types of work. So I know that, you know, a lot of young, young people, they, they love, um, you know, being exposed to social media, and then what's on TV. So seeing careers, you know, being as a dancer, or as an actress, like these are all careers that um, most young people see, um, just in their surroundings, but what about meeting a cinematographer or mm-hmm. a graphic designer or a choreographer or those those careers or you know even a lighting designer? Um, yeah. Those those careers that are part of um, are are a lot of times not highlighted in our community. Um, not necessarily because they're not valuable, but just because we don't know those people. Right. We don't know who those people are. So, you know, for me being a professional artist, I engage with these type of people all the time um, in my work from, you know, working on film sets and working in theater, both, you know, the nonprofit and the commercial sectors. So I meet so many different types of people and I just am amazed. And I think about when I was a child, you know, I never got to meet a a director, a film director or, uh, or a producer. I didn't know what these roles were. Um, So, you know, I went more the traditional route of learning about performance. But as I got older, I thought I, I, became more exposed to, you know, those, those storytellers and the the creators, the people that are creating the work. And obviously there's nothing wrong with being a performer, but I think as black and brown people, you know, we, we have to understand that, you know, we are in control of our stories. We have to tell our stories. Mm -hmm. We have to, um, and we, we have to be the ones that, you know, keep our history. And the way we do that is being the creator. So, um, you know, through my nonprofit, that is, that's our, our goal is, you know, not only to expose kids, but also empower them that, you know, they can tell their own stories, that they are entrepreneurs in themselves. And, and, you know, I know that they're, um, the the statistics the data is there i i know there's a, a stat from 2019 2019 from the national endowment for the arts um and they found that you know low income students who are engaged in the arts are twice as likely to graduate college um more so than their peers that don't have an arts education. So, you know, those skills are transferable to um, really impacting young people um, to be better citizens, to uh, be ready for the professional field, any professional field that they want to get into. So I'm really proud of the work uh, my nonprofit is doing um, to really impact our communities. Yes, I'm excited about the work you all are doing as well. And you you mentioned communities quite a bit. So we're going to flashback once one more time, just one more time to your childhood. Um, because I we want I want to know where are you where are you from? Like, um, where are you from? And if we were to go to your hometown, what's one activity that we should absolutely make sure we experience while we're there? Oh wow. 
talking about my childhood makes me so happy because I don't get to talk about it often. I'm kind of um, a big kid, so I'm, as I talk about people's childhoods way too clearly the podcast. But um, yeah, but yeah, you're safe here talking about childhood. Likewise, likewise. I'm definitely a big kid. Um, yeah, well, I'm from Washington, D.C. originally. Um, my mom is from Trinidad and Tobago from the Caribbean. So I have the Caribbean roots and my dad is African-American. So I grew up in a very uh, culturally rich, um, you know, community here in D.C. And, you know, like most cities, um, we're dealing with gentrification and a lot of um, change in our community. So I remember growing up um, hearing go-go in the street and, um, you know, even hearing like Caribbean music and, and just engulfed in, you know, a really rich culture um, and so, and seeing so many entrepreneurs. I think that um, has really influenced me um, and uh, allowed me to, um, you know, create not only a, um, a career that a lot, a lot of people look at as not a sustainable career. Um, but, you know, coming from a community that I, I always saw, you know, business owners, I, mm-hmm. I, I always saw, um, maybe not necessarily artists. Um, I definitely was exposed to really great art and especially mm-hmm. cultural, cultural, creative experiences. Um, but I just remember like so much love, like so much connection to my neighbors and um, the community that I, I'm, I'm from. So um, I would say one thing that if you come to DC, I mean, this is <laughs> this is a very <laughs> political city, but I think a lot of people don't get to see um, the real DC. And I'd say one thing that you have to experience is going down to U Street. Um, I don't know you're from Baltimore, but U Street is a, um, it's, it, it was, it still is to a certain extent, a, a cultural hub. It's, it's similar to like when you go to New York, you go to Harlem, you go to 125th Street, like over the years, it was where, you know, there was so much jazz and um, small businesses and great food. And there's still some um, spots, you know, that you can really experience um, the culture of DC, which, you know, for me, this is, this is a chocolate city. So places like Ben's Chili Bowl is there where, you know, you can um, experience, you know, really, really good food, <laughs> good food and good music. <laughs> and there's um, so much like visual art, a lot of murals. Um, and you know that the block is, has changed a lot, but I think U Street is, um, it, it was considered Black Broadway. It was, yeah. it was kind of this, the, 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 the block where it was a few blocks where a lot of the artists from the, you know, early 20th century, they came up from the South through that great migration and um, performed and worked and built community on U Street. You know, people like Duke Ellington is from DC, but Duke Ellington lived and performed on U Street. Um, Langston Hughes or Neil Hurston, um, so many great uh, cult, black cultural um, pioneers were were part of this this tiny community of the U Street area, which is the Shaw Howard Howard University is around that area. So definitely, I think you know finding little gems um, at, at on U Street is is what you got to do when you come to DC. Yeah, I don't think there's ever a time that I came to DC to have a good time that at some point I didn't <laughs> end up on U Street. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, yeah, guys. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in DC. So <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of monuments and um, you know all the all the stuff that's important but is boring. Uh, but <laughs> those, those cultural um, and definitely, I think checking out the Smithsonian um, African American oh, yeah. Museum, um, which you need like I think you need a month to like really 
experience yeah. everything in there. Yeah, it's like you need multiple trips. <laughs> um, I think it's so cool that you mentioned Duke Ellington um, having been one of those great Black performers from U Street because um, you decided to take your love for the arts to, to the next level as you, you know, advanced in your education and you went to the Duke Ellington School of the Arts, correct? Yes, I did. Okay. So I'm wondering what was one of your favorite classes and why? Yeah, so I would say, um, you know, Elling- going to Ellington really changed my life um, as a young person. Um, and it was high school. So it looking back on it, it felt like college. <laughs> um, but it is a high school. It's very similar if people are familiar with like Baltimore School of the Arts or LaGuardia School okay, of the Arts got it. in New York. Um Everyone always asks, you know, were you guys dancing on tables? Was it like fame? Not at all. <laughs> but the the exciting thing about Ellington, and I think the that made it very unique, was that um, not only were we studying, you know, arts, um, high quality, intensive arts. Um, getting high quality intensive arts training, Um, you know, our day was kind of split up from, you know, eight in the morning until one, we were taking academic classes. And then from about one until about four, about five o'clock, we were taking arts classes. And then we had rehearsals and anything that we were doing in terms of production from 5 p.m. until about 10 o'clock at night. And that was every day for four years, you know. So it, it did not feel like this was a hobby. It did not feel like it, it, it was, you know, it, obviously it was fun, and, but it, it gave me and so many of my peers, like, so much purpose. Yeah. Um, my some of my best friends still to this day are from high school actually my companies that I built it was they were with my my high school friends um and it just gave um you know we were I'm I'm thinking about some of our graduates we were our graduates are on Broadway they're in Hollywood they're um Grammy award winning artists um That's so cool <laughs> yeah and um i think you know one of our most famous alum is Dave Chappelle so you know it really um provided a foundation not just in the arts but also um connecting us um which i've mentioned a lot just to our community to um connecting us as activists too that yeah. art can is a tool for social change which i think in terms of curriculum is very different from a lot of arts other art schools but ellington in the spirit of duke ellington um really use the school uses uh, our arts training and curriculum to teach kids um, and young people about activism and how you can use art for social change. So I remember a lot of the work that I was um, engaged in, you know, they were traditional plays and whatnot, but also we were writing our own work. We were, we were creating work um, in, in reaction to things that were happening. I remember um, the sniper um, shooting that happened. I think we were in, I think maybe I was a sophomore. We created oh, a piece yeah. around that. We were, oh my goodness! Yeah, we were doing a lot of street theater, um, a lot of things around like police brutality and poverty and things that were happening in our city. And you know, as a young person, it just made it made art mean so much more because it was a release. It was a healing tool, and um, that's what I try to do and give that to young people today because you know, the arts changed my life. And I don't know what I would be doing if I didn't go to uh, Ellington and have that experience. Um, So yeah, our family, our Ellington family is, is so deep. It's, it might be, you know, my education experience. Um, I, you know, later I went on to New York to um, study theater, um, both on the undergrad and graduate level, but you know, Ellington just had such a huge impact in my life and, and built some of um, the most important relationships I That's still so have to today. 
That's wonderful. Clearly, you know, they value excellence there and that's what comes from Ellington. So um, that's awesome. And, um, you know, you, I mean, now that we've heard (laughs) that you have been dedicated to the arts and to just being, doing it, you know, just doing it and being active and learning and growing, um, that level of excellence and dedication to the arts and enriching folks definitely is prevalent in your nonprofit organization that you started in 2015, correct? Yes. The Kennedy Foundation for the Arts. So could you tell us uh, your mission at the foundation? Um, we'd love to hear, you know, what you guys are, what you're, what you're there doing? What's the spirit behind it? We're a nonprofit that uses the power of story and storytelling um, to connect young people of color from ages to little tiny babies all the way to 18 um, through, you know, professional artists, through mentorship, uh, live theater, arts education workshops. Um, and we're really using, like I said, story to, to be the impact um, and allowing young people to see themselves, uh, to create their own stories uh, from all different levels, um, right? So for young people, you know, starting off, which is probably the most important age, um, you know, in the pre-K level, being able to see um, professional artists who look like them engaged in play and uh, make-believe and um, culture. So our mission you know, really is to use um, cultural arts workshops, fellowships, our entrepreneurial development to empower youth of color um, to be actual change agents within their own communities. So, you know, like I said, I remember at all different stages of my life, you know, um, story and art and you know, obviously I can't remember so much <laughs> when we all can't remember a lot when we were small, <laughs> but the things that I do remember are all engaged in the arts or mm-hmm. are centered around the arts. So um, for me, it's so important. Our programming um, caters a lot to um, early childhood and uh, exposing young people um, at risk, especially low income youth. Uh, youth of color to art that is meaningful and authentic and culturally relevant to their experiences. Yeah, very important and also very cool. And for those of us who there may be some folks listening who are, are like, okay, well, Marjorie, you keep saying, you know, um, for for youth to be able to tell their stories, for children to tell their stories, what might like in real life, in reality, what does that look like for um, or what type of experience might I know that's a wide hypothetical, but might a child draw from to tell a story? There's just so much that happens in life. And maybe like, condense for us what is what does it look like for someone to extract a piece of their life and say hey I'm going to make this into some type of story I'm a relatively new mom I have an almost two-year-old so I'm always (laughs) engaging with her um, around her own experiences and her own story even now Um, so I think you know reading aloud especially um, allowing your child to experience what story looks like to them is so important. So having conversations, especially, you know, when they're in the toddler phase is so important to get them going so they can understand and engage in language, um, reading, especially reading aloud is so important. So, um, I do have a really great, um, statistic, uh, from, this organization capstone that, that looks at um, the importance of reading aloud to your child. And um, this is from a 2020 study. They found that 85% of children who are read aloud um, with their parents or a guardian, that 92% of parents and children identify that as a special time. And that 73% of those parents reported that reading aloud to their child before their 
first birthday engaged them so much deeper in understanding language and comprehension, reading comprehension, um, and their vocabulary. So little things like that is so helpful and important. So, you know, we do um, read alouds in the classroom, um, with our partner organizations and schools. And we have professional actors of color come in and engage in these read alouds and storytelling and allow the young people, again, they're three or four years old to come up and, you know, take out and extract parts of the story that they identify with and allow them to build on it themselves. And what that might look like is um, depending on the age range, it could be an expression through visual arts. So taking out a theme from a story that is read and expanding into how they identify with a specific character or specific theme or color um, that could be expressed through the visual arts, or it could be expressed through performance, through movement, through music. So I think, um, Again, you know, it, it ranges for, for the age range, but it's a similar concept, you know, for middle school students or high school students that, you know, you, you can provide a foundational story or a theatrical experience for a young person, and then they can find moments, specific moments that they can relate to. And then through a arts activity uh, curriculum, we're able to allow them to create their own story, to empower, you know, themselves that, hey, you know, you know, I, I think that a lot of times young people have to, we have to engage them so they understand that someone wrote this particular story that they're engaging with. And there's so many different types of stories that there's not just one single story. So I think, um, you know, reading aloud and literacy is is just a huge component of what we do. And like I said, I didn't like reading <laughs> that much as a child. But once I start to read books and engage in plays and musicals that were more about my experience, it really opened up my world. So um, I, I see that through the work that we've been doing uh, for the past what, seven years. I can't believe it's been seven years already. That's so amazing. And and not only do you do work in the classroom, but you've written an entire children's book series called Callaloo Kids. Um, And your work puts a huge emphasis on cultural literacy. I know we're talking about literacy now, but I really appreciate um, your emphasis on cultural literacy. And so I would love for you to tell us um, why is it important to prioritize cultural literacy versus literacy plain and simple? Like, those listening um, might understand what we're talking about, but some people might be like, okay, you know, isn't any type of literacy education geared towards kids just as relevant as the next? Like, why is the emphasis on culture so important? Books, stories, um, media, all of that transmits value. And, um, and culture is surrounds us. So I think when we, engage a bit deeper in culturally sensitive and focused, um, diverse and equitable stories, we're able to, for our, especially for youth of color, but all youth, for them to open their horizons to what is possible, how they feel about themselves, especially developing confidence and self-esteem and giving them vision um, and opening their imaginations to what is possible. I think all of that is rooted in cultural literacy. Um, Of course, you know, building uh, strong readers and and a love for reading is, is so important. But I think from the cultural standpoint, you know, it is the gateway. Um, it's the bridge for us to, as a society, for us to be more loving and kind and, and developing social and emotional learning through, um, through our connections as people. So um, that cultural element is so important. And, and for 
many young people, the only way that they can learn about someone that is different from them or someone that they don't see often in their community, and that's for all children, is through books, is through stories, is through music and the arts. So, um, you know, someone that, you know, lives... Out, you know, on the other side of the of the country or the the world, um, you know, we can learn about Indian culture or Asian culture, African culture through our stories, and and the just the importance of you know engaging in stories that are uh, that are authentic. So when I say authentic, meaning you know reading books and, and, and engaging in, in stories and theater that is written by people of color, that is created by people of color. Yeah, um, important. And it, it is. And I, you know, I know that, um, the, the children's I want to make sure that, um, yeah, it's the children, the cooperative children's book center. Um, they do studies, you know, every year or so, uh, or every couple of years on, um, children's books that are written by authors of color. And, um, in 2020, they found like 26% of children's books, um, were written by people of color, which has gone up by about 2% in five years, which, you know, is still very low. So, you know, for me as um, a writer um, and a a creative entrepreneur and educator, that kind of was my, um, that was my mission, (laughs) really, uh, with creating my book series, Callaloo Kids, um, you know, one to celebrate and identify my own cultural makeup, uh, being first generation, being uh, Caribbean and African American. Um, I wanted to use my books to celebrate African diaspora culture and be able to um, engage with children, not only of you know my own Caribbean or African American descent, but for all children to to celebrate and to acknowledge that we come from a rich and unique and complex and um, history and that our culture is always changing. So, I mean, I think that's the fun part about culture that everyone has a culture. So we all kind of come to the, the meeting ground, um, you know, with, with our own culture, everybody can share in their culture. Um, but I think it's especially important in the uh, climate that we're living in um, that we engage so much more deeply um, because our young people are seeing, you know, what's happening on the street and what's happening in black and brown communities. And um, there is a much more, um, I would say there's a, there's a, there's a, bigger urgency um, to engage with this type of work um, now than ever um, because our young people are watching what our adults are doing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, my Callaloo books provides that. We are, um, I actually started writing Callaloo in 2014 as a theatrical play um, and it has morphed into a book series with um actually five books in our collection, um, but each book celebrates a specific um, country, culture, uh, folklore from the the islands. Um, Our first book is about Trinidadian folklore. Our second book is about Puerto Rican folklore. And our third book is through, um, it celebrates the Gullahs, um, Southern African-American folklore. So it, it connects, you know, our history, storytelling, folklore, but through food traditions, which I think everybody can relate to, um, how food is passed down, our importance of ancestry, um, of our own um, folkloric um, storytelling traditions. And again, you know, engaging with first and second generation youth and how they understand their history and family tradition. So I'm so proud of what we've done with Kalaloo. And, um, you know, we've, we've been able to uh, not only create these books that are completely independent. Like I said, a lot of my uh, team, my team is, is from high school, my high school, um, 
friends who are all professional artists. Um, we've been able to create these books, but also perform them on stages and adapt them into digital media. So it can be, these stories can reach a much larger audience. So um, our books are available everywhere. We have great curriculum um, that coincides with the book. So teachers can use the stories as a tool in the classroom. That's great. Um, I should have asked you this earlier. What is Callaloo? Like, I, I know that it's a food, but like, I don't know too much. of. Uh, you know, is there a reason why you chose to um, use this particular word as the like the stamp or the foundation for not just the book, but a couple of the programs that you offer to schools? Yeah, yeah. Well, Callaloo is a um, is a stew. It's a it's a spinach like stew that's eaten throughout the Caribbean, but the, it has derivatives throughout the entire African diaspora. So for Americans or in the U.S., we know it more as like gumbo. If you're if you know about you know um, Southern food or um, New Orleans, especially gumbo is very similar um, to the texture of Callaloo. Um, or collard greens, like when you cook collard greens down. Um, so it, it it's it's a green um, in Puerto Rico. They call it asopao, and I, and it, it was such a symbolic um, food for me that connected Black culture and and experiences, Black Black and Brown experiences. Um, it, it's symbolic, especially for. Uh, Trinidadians, Callaloo is actually the the uh, main dish of Trinidad. And I grew up eating Callaloo. I remember um, my grandmother um, would make Callaloo. She would tell me stories about growing up in Trinidad, um, my mom being there with my aunt. So, um, you know, Callaloo was kind of the, <laughs> the food that connected, you know, so many generations in my own family. Um, but it also, you know, Trinidadians, we consider ourselves to be a Kalaloo people. And, a, and, and that being said, that Kalaloo is a mix up of a lot of different things. So, okay. y- you know, it really is um, whoever is making the Kalaloo is what makes it unique. Ooh, so, you know, okay. spinach is kind of like the foundation, but you can add whatever you want to it your spices, your, you could add shrimp to it, you could add hey, you know, any type of meat, crab, <laughs> you could add anything you want. And um, I think that's the exciting thing <laughs> that when we're, when I'm performing or reading my books, I, you know, we have a little fun activity for the kids, for the kids to make their own imaginary Callaloo. And that, um, you know, Callaloo can take you anywhere you want to go. So um, that was kind of the, the reason why I chose um, that title. And it, it, ha- it has a nice ring to it, <laughs> I should say. I mean, look, it has a nice ring to it. And I'm hungry now. It is t- <laughs> early in the morning. Before we wrap up, I just want to know and folks can, you know, we'll leave you all to the website so that you can check out all the programs um, and thoroughly. But I just want to know, is there a program that like that schools in, in um and uh, organizations rave over? Like, is there a most popular program that you want to tell us about right now through your organization? Yeah, yeah. Well, we offer a lot of different programs. Um, Just, you know, just, of course, we have like individual workshops that range from, you know, theater, yoga, dance, movement therapy, poetry. Um, So just individualized classes, but we also have more curated uh, cultural experiences. So um, two programs that are very popular is our Callaloo in the Classroom uh, program, which is a arts and cultural educational experience um, through live performance. So it's an assembly style performance that includes our puppets, um, which they're very lifelike puppets similar to like on Sesame street. Um, so it engages with this, uh, adaptation of our, our first children's book, um, Kalalua jazz folktale as a performance along with an interactive arts workshop, um, that follows that. So we've been actually been, we've been doing that, um, that program for about five years now. So we've been to, 
we've we've touched the lives of about four thousand youth through that program. Hey, um, working great. with yeah, yeah, working with um, DC public schools, uh, Kip Charter schools, Baltimore public schools, um, as well as a lot of organizations and public schools in New York, um, the New York, New Jersey area. So that is a, a popular program. And then one of our newer programs is our program Kitty Carnival, um, which is an interactive workshop um, that exposes children, mostly pre-K to about first grade, uh, to the elements and origins of Caribbean carnival and storytelling. Um, so we do mask making, uh, movement, soca, dance, and then um, young people even learn about the steel pan, uh, the traditions of steel pan music um, and, and African drumming. So that um, we've been doing that program for about three years now. And um, we've been to the Caribbean Cultural Center. Um, again, KIPP is one of our big partners, KIPP DC. And, um, it, and it's so much fun. It's so much fun to see. It sounds like a kids. good time. <laughs> Can <laughs> yeah, I be I know, like, even the teachers are, you know, really engaged. And you know, yeah. they're experiencing carnival in the classroom, too. So, um, and I think, you know, through, through these programs, you know, we really emphasize that cultural aspect because the culture is the thing that we practice every day. But a lot of times we don't acknowledge it. We don't celebrate it. And for our black and brown children, um, you know, culture is the thing that ignites them and wakes them up and yeah. gets them connected to what they're doing. So it's very um, immersive. It's very interactive. Um, and we want our young people to be part of the storytelling. So there's always an element, there's always an aspect to our programs that um, get kids involved. We don't want to be the only ones telling the story. We want, right. we want the young people doing most of the work. Exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. And they'll be the ones growing up, you know, taking over for us someday. So they have to be connected to their culture. And um, I want to zoom out a bit and ask you, Marjuan, what is the world taking too long to realize about the way that we educate children? And how are you helping to change that? Yeah, I think that, you know, something of the world is taking a long time to to figure out um, when it comes to education is just, I mean, I think we know the importance of arts, but I think it's really about funding it and supporting it and um, the importance of diversity and equity in our education system, especially when it comes to uh, curriculum. Um, I think that so much of our history and uh, our educational foundation is rooted in, you know, Eurocentric understand and a Eurocentric understanding of knowledge, mm -hmm. and that needs to be dismantled, right? Yeah. And the and the way that um, young people learn it. it, it there's so many different ways for them to learn um, through, you know, auditory, visual, physical learning um, methodologies that that's why the arts are important because um, through, you know, specifically my organization, kids are learning through dance. They're learning through music, through engaging in stories and language that is meaningful to them. So I think that that is something that, you know, I, I think there is a lot of work happening in that area, um, but it's so relevant and apparent to me because of the need for our programming. Um, we get so many requests from teachers, educators, uh, administrators to bring our programs to their schools because they're still stuck in this um this traditional method that is not working. Yeah. You know, we're, we're learning about, you know, Christopher Columbus and him finding the Western world when that is just not accurate. Right. Exactly. That is, that is not our history. And so I think, um, I think we have to, we have to work to dismantle that and find alternative ways to educate not just black and brown children, but all children, because we all, all young people 
have to come from a space where we're all on the same playing field. And I think that's what equity really looks like. We talk about diversity, but I think the root of it is we have to create equitable systems where everyone shows up on the same playing field. Yes, that is absolutely the key. Thank you for so thoroughly explaining that to us. And thank you for joining us today. I mean, the wisdom that you've poured out to hear the work that you're doing, to hear the way that you're helping children, especially black and brown children connect to themselves and their culture is just, there are truly no words, but I'm glad we were able to find them through this interview. <laughs> find them through this <laughs> thank interview. You. Um, and so we want to know what's next for you, Marjuan, and for the Kennedy Foundation for the Arts. And what's the best way to stay in touch with you and your work? Like, what if we want to bring your program to one of our schools or our community um, organizations? How do we get in touch? How do we stay in touch? Yeah, well, um, we have a lot of great resources um, on our website, um, the Kennedy Foundation Arts.org. So it's www.kennedyfoundationarts.org. And we um, we have a great blog. It's called the Artsy Blog that um, one of our educators, our certified educators, Wendy Toribio, who is an educator actually in the Dominican Republic, she creates uh, blog posts for us bi-weekly um, that are culturally rooted, um, and she provides curriculum, tips, resources, especially we're coming out of quarantine, but um, a lot of homeschool, uh, homeschooling that you can do with your child or activities. So that's a great resource. We also um, have our programs. We have a lot of virtual digital programs. Um, so we just wrapped up our Young, Gifted, and Woke series that was hosted by a 14-year-old social entrepreneur, Chloe Thompson, um, who works around homelessness in Los Angeles. Um, so that program is online on our YouTube channel. You can um, be connected through our website. And then um, any of our programs that you're interested in, you can go online, take a look at them, uh, request them or request more information through our website. And then we have, lastly, a really great resource, a free resource um, for educators and parents who work, especially with young people of color. We have a literacy guide, um, the ABCs of cultural literacy, and it's an anti-racism guide um, that can, you know, begin the conversations um, and and continue the conversation um, around racism in, in our society um, through storytelling and books for both um, adults and young people. So you can download that on our website. Um, and we have a, a short link um, that I could share with you as well. You can put in your show notes, but it's just um, www.tinyurl.com slash CFA Literacy Guide. So you can just download that and it could be a great resource for you guys. Um, we have a lot of great programming coming up next year. Um both in person and then virtual programs. We have our CFA repertory theater, um, which is a African diaspora performance theater group that is connected through the nonprofit. So we have some great performances. And um, for me personally, I actually just got a prestigious fellowship um, in New York uh, with the Front Row Productions um, organization, which Really Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, it's connected to um, Columbia University, their MFA theater producing program. And um, I was selected uh, to be in this program. And the program really trains um, emerging Black theater producers on how to produce in the commercial world Whoa. and bring my production actually to Broadway. So I will be um, kind of moving back and forth <laughs> between New York and DC um, to, you know, begin the, the long process of <laughs> um, bringing my, bringing my theater uh, production uh, to the Broadway stages, as well as studying at Columbia um, and in London, actually. So I'll be moving around quite a bit in the next year. Um, but we're I'm on social media at 
Marjuan Kennedy and my nonprofit at Kennedy Foundation Arts. So you can kind of stay in touch. That was a very long answer, but uh, we we want to hear all of it. And like, you know, guys, I really don't know what more you need to hear. This is just, I mean, first off, you know, as we wrap up, why wouldn't you want your child in your community to be a part of something with a person like Marjuan, who clearly is just dedicated to the arts, she's still growing, you know, she's doing such great things. And it's really, um, you can see it is clear if you go to the website and all the programs that are happening and everything that's being produced. These are the sorts of things that your children, especially black and brown children, need to be a part of. Please don't let these resources go to waste. We know that the school year is coming. We know, you know, especially right now during COVID, um, it's, it's easing up, but we still have all these variants and things are just so unpredictable. So make sure that you are getting a hold of these resources and at-home curriculums and getting your child in these programs and doing our due diligence as adults and communities who are, you know, we're the ones raising children of color, making sure that if your child is going to school and there is not a program like this, you know, there's not a program where there's no evidence that your child is receiving culturally relevant education, you as parents even aunties and uncles, administrators, what have you, have the power to bring these sorts of resources like the programs Marjuan is talking about us today. You have the power to bring it to your school. Talk to the principal. Go to the PTA. Let your voice be heard because at the end of the day, parents' input is the input that is going to move the needle. You have the power and get your children and other children in our communities what they need. So Marjuan, thank you so much. We're very grateful to have had you with us today. And I hope that you have a wonderful day and congratulations on all the great things that are coming up for you and for the organization. Thank you so much for having me, Mariah. I really appreciate it. It was, it was a lot of fun also talking <laughs> about my childhood. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you had fun. We'll have a wonderful day. Okay. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> So what'd you think? How will you take what you learned today on the Ed Gap Evolution podcast to make sure that more children and families know that they have more options for building a magnificent future? If you like what you heard and want to get notified when the next episode goes live, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll notify you when the next episode is out. Don't forget to check the show notes where I share information on today's guests and yes, we do have a website. You can always pop in on us at www.eggapevolution.com. Again, I'm Mariah Phillips, and I leave you with this. Embrace the evolution, y'all.